the Higgledy Piggledy History Hodgepod with Alex Diamond and Dave Crowley. Hello and welcome for the final time this season to the Higgledy Piggledy History Hodgepod, the podcast that comes with a three drink minimum and a doorman under instruction to keep out the riffraff. I'm Dave Rattlehead Crowley and I'm joined as ever by a man with a crippling anime addiction and a morbid curiosity about how much civilian labour it took to construct the Death Star, history scholar Alex (laughs) Darth Diamond. Good grief. Hello there. (laughs) Good evening, sir. How How are are we? Yeah, I'm good. How are you? I'm all right, pal. No complaints at all. And I should just say, uh, before we start this week, we just want to give uh, a quick shout out to Laura Gathigan at the State University of New York at Cortland, who got in touch and spoke to my esteemed colleague last week. Yes, she did. Um, so Dr. Gathigan uh, is a is a friend and uh, colleague. She's She's also a medieval historian who, like me, is interested in Anglo-Norman stuff. Um, and she's she's been a great f- friend of mine for many years, uh, and and is a great scholar. And she got in touch with me uh, last week when our episode on Athelflad uh, aired, and she basically said, you know, I've been waiting for you to do one on a woman, um, and sort of you know gave me some uh, fair constructive criticism, which I was very grateful for, and so. Uh, I was very touched, honestly, that she, uh, you know, someone like that, a historian, was listening to our little podcast that we did over lockdown for a bit of fun, mm-hmm. um, and also that she had, she had, you know, she told me that her students um, at Sunny uh, Cortland had been listening to some of them as well, and uh, you know, that was just great. You know, we're we're, we're really bowled over by that. So I, we thought we would, you know, say hi to Laura and her students, and I hope that. Uh, the episode on Athelflad goes some of the way to rectifying the lack of women in uh, that we've covered so far. Uh, we'll definitely work harder to rectify that in the future. But uh, thanks very much for listening. And can I just add, uh, Laura, if you want the dirt on Darth, then obviously just get in touch with me direct and I'll tell you what you need to know. <laughs> yeah, she might be able to tell you the same thing, actually. Uh, from you know, you know how these medieval conferences can be, Dave. <laughs> Say no, mate, no. <laughs> and I'm sure all those who were encouraged by our uh, discussions about females in history will be no doubt overjoyed to hear that tonight. We're going to be talking about Genghis Khan, who (laughs) it has been requested by a number of people. uh, And so we finally got round to it. And we are going to ask the question, magnificent forger of empires or mad as a box of badgers and armed to the teeth? (laughs) So the great Khan then, Darth, do we know when he was born? Um... That is actually a good question, and I don't think we do. I, 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 we always seem to land at this, don't, don't we? Um, we don't know when this bloke was born, uh, sadly. Um, uh, so, okay, probably born around 1160. A couple of years either side, you know, um, historians can debate this until the cows come home. But yeah, so we're, we're dealing with someone who's knocking around in the late 12th and early 13th century. He dies in... 1227 we do know the year of his death Mm. but he was probably born around 1160 and you know he is one of the most famous characters in history the name Genghis Khan 
even if you don't know anything about him, you know the name, don't you? It's like Darth Vader. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know whether Vader... Who, who is more famous, Vader or Khan? I don't know. <laughs> Vader. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be realistic. It's Vader. So, this is, this is yeah. the world we now live in. Uh, it, it, the most famous villain in history. It's not Hitler. It's not Stalin. It's not <laughs> Vladimir Paler. It's Darth Vader. Yeah, so maybe you know Khan comes second in terms of recognition. Then, um, <laughs> but yeah, you know he's a big figure in global history. Uh, he, he is the founder and the first emperor of of the Mongol Empire, and you know that is one of the largest. I, I think I think the Mongol Empire remains the largest contiguous empire in history. So that's as in. Uh, 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 a block of landmass uninterrupted. You know, the British Empire was the largest empire in history, but that was far flung and had oceans separating it. The the Mongol Empire, a little bit after Genghis Khan's death, ultimately stretched from you know Korea and China in the in the east, all the way to the Holy Land. You know, Palestine, Turkey, Eastern Europe, um, in in the west. And it's it's said that now that the there are. Millions of people alive today who are direct descendants of this Randy ruler. <laughs> yeah, that that is one of the things that people hear about, don't they? When they first see Genghis Khan, it seems to be connected with that point that you know he's got millions of descendants. I mean, so there's two things to say about that. One is, yes, he definitely was Randy. He had lots of wives and spouses and concubines. Um, basically, his his mode of his mode of operation seemed to be that when he conquered a new area, uh, you know, conquered a new people, a new tribe, he would take a woman from that tribe and basically she would serve as one of his wives and that would cement the sort of alliance, if you like, with those people yeah. and cement his lordship over them. So, yeah, I mean, God, he he had scores, I think. Uh, well, dozens for sure. Um, but the other thing to say is that, you know, that 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 line that comes up, he's got millions of descendants, well, if you if you go back far enough, you know, pick any person who's around at that time, oh. you know, eight hundred years ago, nine hundred years ago, if they, you know, if they have passed on their genetic material to this point, they will have many, many descendants alive today as well. You know, it doesn't take you that long to go back in history before you really... start thinking about distant cousins. <laughs> yeah, we still don't know when he was born. <laughs> Very recent history, and yes, we don't know. Yeah. But he was born not far from, and I love this, Ulaanbaatar. It's got to be the best name for a capital city in the world. Yeah, I can't think of a better one. And it's a great pub quiz question that you know you have to know, don't you? <laughs> yeah. Every uh, Again, if you need to know the, the capital, and that is the modern capital of Mongolia. Yeah. And yeah, he's born in a place which sounds like it's come from a Tolkien book, Delun Boldog. It does to me. <laughs> so he's born in Delon Bulldog, which is yeah, not far from, from Ulaanbaatar. Uh and his name is Temujin, which is uh, something that people might not know. Uh, Genghis Khan is actually the, the title that he uses. And and another thing is that we've all been pronouncing his name wrong. Everyone says Genghis Khan, but actually well, it's No, it's, it's Chinggis. Chinggis Khan, yes, um, is the uh, more correct pronunciation. And that basically means universal ruler, Khan being the ruler, right? So 
he is Genghis Khan. He is the universal ruler, which was the title bestowed on him by the Mongols, uh, as we'll get to after he had, you know, united a, a lot of peoples under his rule and conquered a lot of territory. But he's born um, Temujin. Um, and according to the legendary history of the Mongols, which is called the secret history of the Mongols, the legend is that uh, he came out of the womb clutching a blood clot, which apparently was a good omen, signified that he was destined for greatness. Would you believe it, Dave? Well, uh, there's a lot of strange sort of <laughs> superstitions that stem from that. I know that um, sailors in in the uh, in the UK back in sort of 1800s uh, sort of period would pay a fortune for um, a call which some babies were born with this membrane over them. Right. And they were considered to be extremely fortunate things. Oh, and okay. to bring tremendous good luck, particularly to sailors. So sailors used to pay an awful lot of money to uh, to have one of these things and just keep it about their person. So I can't really criticise the, the, the Mongols for considering a blood cut to be uh, a good omen when we we certainly did similar over here. Yeah, I mean, that, uh, I suppose what you've got to question is whether something like that actually happened, because, you know, these things like the, these histories, the secret history of the Mongols was written after Genghis Khan's death. And so basically it's the creation myth of the Mongol Empire, really. And so there's a so lot, we, you know... It would have been a hell of a job if he'd written it before his, his, uh, his birth, really. <laughs> speculation. Yeah, well, well, what I mean is that they're writing at a time when they know that he yeah, indeed know, was Sorry. destined yeah. for greatness. <laughs> yeah. I see what you mean. <laughs> and when he was uh, when he was nine, he was sent off to live with his future bride's family. Yeah, that's right. So his father was a relatively powerful chieftain, like a, a tribal chieftain, uh, one of the leading voices among um, the Mongolian tribal confederation. Um, and uh, his mother was actually his father's second wife. Um, he so so Temujin had uh, three uh, younger brothers and one sister, but he also had two older half brothers from his father's um, uh, first marriage. And yes, as you said, uh, when he when he was just nine years old, his father sent him off to marry uh, a woman called Borta. I think I'm pronouncing that right. And was sent off to live with his future wife's family, uh, as was customary. Um, but soon after this, uh, uh, Temujin's father actually died, possibly when he ate poisoned food offered offered to him by the troublesome Tartars. But we don't know whether that was actually the case or not. Um, having a go at the Tartars, yeah. <laughs> the troublesome Tartars sounds like something from Toy Story. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, we don't know necessarily whether this was true, but he did die. And so Temujin returns home, um, basically to claim his father's position as chief of the tribe. But he's too young. Other reasons contribute to the fact that the tribe refused this. And actually the the family, his mo- his mother and, their, and the children, fall on hard times. That They are basically abandoned by the tribe who sorts of, you know, choose to go with a different lead- leadership. And for the next few years... His life, we don't really know a great deal about it. You know, pretty obscure, but we can fairly we can be fairly sure that it wasn't great. Living in poverty, living off the land, and and you know, you're when you are uh, among these peoples who are nomadic, by the way, which means they don't really settle in one place. They yeah. move around and use the resources. It's strength in numbers, hmm. and if you're on your own, 
it's it's bloody tough and so um i think uh, this early period of his life after his father had died and the tribe abandoned him was probably very tough uh, after uh, a period um, living in this uh, poverty and obscurity he, uh, he he then starts to demonstrate the fact that he's not altogether the most friendly of <laughs> yeah because him and, he, him and his brother uh kill his half brother begta yeah yeah this is in this is in the secret history of the mongols um and and that history basically says that um they went out fishing one day all, all the brothers, right, went out fishing. Hang, so, hang, so. On, hang on a minute. They're not going to find a ring at the bottom of the pond. Like <laughs> yeah, it turns out it was Tolkien all along. <laughs> it's my birthday. <laughs> Give it to me. Yes. It, um, sadly, it's um, even more trivial than that. Uh, so uh, the brothers and, and the half-brothers, they go out fishing. So the two older half-brothers uh, and also Temujin and his full brothers, they all go out fishing. And it turns out that Begta uh, refuses to give the fish that he has caught and to sh- and to share it with his younger half siblings. Now, and they and you know Temujin runs back to his mother and says he's he he won't let me have any of the fish. And last week we we all went hunting for birds and he and he did the same thing. And uh, it spirals out of control to the point where Temujin and, and his full brother Hassar actually stalk this guy and they shoot him with bow and arrows. So they kill, they murder their half-brother, uh, Begta, uh, supposedly over a fish. Well, I mean, I have to say that there, there, there have been periods in my life when I've been to the chippy and I've come back with fish, I've come back with fish and chips for me and the wife and I've, I've unwrapped it and, and she has had a bigger piece of fish and I have been sorely tempted and thought, is this grounds? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> is, yeah. is this grounds to, to, to do something unspeakable? Because she has got the bigger bit of fish. Yes. Um, I, I mean, when the red mist descends, you know, uh, it, it's all fair, isn't it, really? But what I would say, what I would say about this story is that it's probably an illustrative example getting at the fact that the older half brothers were the ones who were ba- who basically lead leading the family you know they were the oldest men and what this is getting at really is that the older brother begta was having too much of a say and the younger brothers were not happy with that so whether it whether the fish you know was the sort of the last the last straw it seemed to be that the younger brothers were not happy with this so so they killed him and then shortly after this, um, he returns to the home of his bride-to-be, but then there's uh, an attack on the family camp and uh, his wife ends up being kidnapped. Now, it's said that this is uh, a real turning point in his life. Yes. And you think, well, you've already killed your half-brother, mate, you know, <laughs> yeah. over, a, over a fish. Well, he's probably <laughs> aged about 15 or 14, yeah. you know. You've already started murdering people over fish. I'm not sure that the kidnapping of your wife-to-be is that much of a turning point. You're already mad as a badger. <laughs> yeah, fair comment, really. Um, uh, but I suppose what, what, what the episode about... Um, Borta's kidnapping tells us is that Temujin was very resourceful when he wanted to be. 
And yes, he, he does return to her and, and they do get married. And this rival tribe comes in and attacks the family camp and kidnaps Porter, takes her away. And she's given off to one of the warriors as the you know, spoils of war. Mm. And, and you know, Temujin is devastated by this and, and determines to rescue her, which he does. Uh, it takes several months and he has to, you know, uh, get the aid of allies and other tribal uh, warriors. But um, it, it does work. And they historians have seen this as a turning point um, for him, really, in that he, he he's on the war footing and he knows how to gather troops and he's how to... He's united people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, obviously, I, I'm always very sceptical of these sorts of childhood events that mean, oh, you know, Napoleon did this when he was 10. That meant he was going to do all this later on. I'm, I'm sceptical, but, you know, it's clear that he was showing uh, ability to do the sorts of things necessary for conquest and unification at an early age. And he gets her back, and she'd been captive for about nine months. And uh, when he gets her back, she basically gives birth pretty soon afterwards. Yeah, so she, so she <laughs> gives birth. <laughs> it's very dodgy, isn't it? And this plagues him for the, for the rest of his life. So yeah, this son, um, Jockey or Yoki, um, not sure, not sure on the pronunciation. So forgive me for butchering Mongolian. But I, I, I wouldn't worry. I, I, yeah. I don't think we, we've got that much of an audience in Mongolia who's going to complain. So we'll just go with jockey. <laughs> You're tempting fate here, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it appears on the the list of places we've been uh, listened to. I yes. should say actually, uh, hello Egypt, who joined us this week. <laughs> <laughs> not all of Egypt obviously no just some people in Egypt um yeah so Borta gives birth to this son um and of course that the the parentage is questionable you know was it uh, is Temujin the father or was she impregnated by one of the people who perhaps ra- you know raped her basically when she was captive um but uh, we we don't know but what we do know is that Temujin claimed the child as his own son. He he was like, I'm not having any questions about this. Uh, you know, I, I think that this is my son. Fair and, play to you. Yeah. Do yeah, the yeah. decent thing. Yeah. So he said, no, this is my son. You know, I'm pleased to have my wife back with me safe and sound. They had several more children together. Um, and he also had many children, as we've discussed, with over a dozen um, spouses and concubines. But Borta was always the, the sort of the first wife, the most important one. And was it was only her children that were considered his legitimate heirs in terms yeah. of su- succession. So he has lots of children, a bit like Henry I. You know, we've spoken about him, Henry I of England. Yeah. Um, so he's got he's got Borta, who is his, you know, the most important wife, really. And now he's sort of, this is where his career sort of begins now. Although he does, there is a period um, which is obscure again, isn't there? Until around 1197. Yeah. Yeah. So we basically, what happens after this, he, he starts to begin his career and he, he, um, he teams up with one of his father's old allies, um, what, what they call a blood brother or a sworn brother. So they're not necessarily related by blood. It's quite confusing, but they are brothers in blood. You know, they're, they're yeah. sworn warriors and they fight together uh, like family. Um, and this guy is uh, Togrul, better known by the Chinese title Wang Khan. 
Any jokes to come there, Dave? We <laughs> <laughs> should, should point out to those not in the UK that, that wang is used as slang here for a male genitalia. Mm-hmm. So Wang Khan has certain connotations that might not be apparent to the rest of the world. Yep. And to people as stupid as us, it is going to make us chuckle audibly. I'm sorry. Indeed, yeah. So Tog Rule, or Wang Khan, whatever you prefer, he... Can we stick with Tog Rule? For the benefit of others, yes. He, he supported, you know, Temujin's campaign to rescue his wife. Um, and, and there was another guy as well, uh, uh, Jamuka who was also a Khan of his own tribe. Um, so these sort of three, you know, were were, were the three amigos. Um, but they sort of drifted apart over time. You know, they're all ambitious individuals trying to consolidate power. And, and this other guy, Jamukar, especially, he was more sort of traditional and aristocratic. But Temujin was opting for a more of a meritocracy. You know, he he wanted to attract a broad social following regardless of people's birth. You know, he he wanted to attract the people who would be loyal to him and who would be the best for that job, regardless of who their father or their mother was. And, and he, he managed to engineer. No, that's not fair. He was fairly, as far as we know, elected as Khan of the Mongols at this point, what, which is um, the sort of position that his father had held. Yes, that's right. That's absolutely right. Um, and this is, you know... We we don't know all of the details. Um, he's you know he he had gathered a lot of strength by the late eleven eighties, but by this time when he is elected as Khan of the Mongols, um, we don't know exactly how that had happened. But yes, he was there, and and this Jamuka guy didn't like that at all, and you know because he was the one who really wanted to be in power and didn't like T- Temujin on the rise, and so he attacked. Temujin and defeated him in battle. Uh, he allegedly boiled seventy young male captives alive in cauldrons after this battle. Well, that's perfectly um, reasonable. Yeah, and uh, and our friend Tog Rule, um, who was uh, Temujin's ally, he was forced into exile. And for about ten years, as you said, until until around eleven ninety seven, we don't again. That's a huge gap in in Temujin's life after he, after he's lost this battle and his allies have been exiled. He he appears uh, as a commander in in a in an army of of the Jin dynasty attacking those troublesome Tatars again, <laughs> um, and and he wins the victory. And he uh, in alliance with the Jin dynasty, he and his good friend Togrul are restored to power, and so that's when we see him coming back on the scene in in the late eleven nineties. Okay, and. Um... This isn't going to end well for Jamuka, is it? No, it doesn't really, um, because Temujin goes from strength to strength. He's, you know, combination of, I, I must stress, carrot and stick. He can be very generous and very clever at inviting people to join his band and integrate with them. But he can also be very brutal uh, in terms of executing, you know, horrific policies uh, uh, upon those who are not so persuaded um, by the carrot. So hence carrot and stick. But he's doing very well. And as I said, you know, he's he's delegating authority on merit and loyalty rather than family ties or nobility. And he's he's taking new wives each time he conquers uh, a new tribe. Um, But... Jamuka, so now we're in, into the 13th century, in 1201, Jamuka um, took 
the title Gur Khan, which again is similar to Genghis, right? Sort of, you, he's claiming to be a big, the big player, the universal yeah. ruler, and he'd gathered a huge coalition, basically in opposition to Temujin and his coalition. Um, but after several battles and a lot of desertion from Jamukha's camp, he was actually turned over to Temujin by his own men in 1206. So Temujin wins. Now, according to the secret history, uh, uh, Genghis Khan, Temujin, uh, basically offered friendship to this guy, you know, and said, look, I know what you were doing. You've lost, but I, I, I'm going to give you the carrot, not the stick. Um, now he, 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 he had, he had actually killed the guys who had betrayed Jamuka, you know, the, the guys who had betrayed their own leader and brought him before Genghis Khan, Genghis Khan rewarded that betrayal by killing them. Killing them. <laughs> yeah. Like here, here you are, you know, oh great Genghis Khan. We, we, we've, we've betrayed this guy who, who was opposing you and we brought him before you. Oh, brilliant. Well, thanks a lot, but you're going to die for that. Um, and and you know you can you can understand that because it's sort of like the man who uh, cheats on his wife with another woman and then gets together with well, that you, woman. You, you know, you can, but you're also guaranteeing that no one's ever going to do similar for you in the future. Yeah, I suppose. But what what happens when the next guy comes along and these disloyal men who sold out Jamuka are going to sell out Temujin as well? That that's I think what he's thinking. Well, I mean, yeah. I, I... I can see the logic, but you know it's it's, it, yeah. it's a bit harsh. Isn't it? it is a bit harsh, and 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 this is done uh, throughout history. Canute uh, does the same when he invades England. Uh, Caesar does the same to the people who um, beheaded Pompey in Egypt. It, you know, it seems to be not the done thing. But anyway, uh, Jamuka refuses um, Temujin's kind offer, and basically says there can only be one sun in the sky. You know, it's it's you or me. And uh, Genghis Khan says, "Well, it's me then." Um, so he kills. He kills Ta- him. And- takes his <laughs> carrot back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If not the carrot, we'll have the stick. And so he, he says, "Give me, give me a noble death," you know. And 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 he does. So that's the end of of Jamuka. Um, and and by this time, uh, Temujin is is the sole ruler. Really, he is the top man uh, of of the steppes of the Mongol steppes, or like the huge flat territory. Um, in uh, across Asia, he's got all of the prominent confeder- the confederations under his rule: the Mongols, the Merkits, the Namans, Tartars, Uyghurs. There are there are loads. I, I won't go into them all. Dweebies, dickheads, motoroids, motoroids, sluts. They all love him. They all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude. He's done the impossible in that sense. And really, you know, joking aside, it was unprecedented. Yeah, yeah. He 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 had mustered this um and had achieved greatness uh which resulted in peace between these previously warring um nomadic tribes now they're formed into a single political entity and importantly for everyone else uh, a single military force and this is where it sort of well he starts his campaigns against the kingdoms of china yeah that's right this so this is where we we could essentially spend an hour and a half discussing the atrocities that him yes. and his people committed. Yeah, as I said, he, he'd already done a bit of carrot and stick uh, before and he's leaning perhaps more towards the stick as time goes on, as he gets older. But, uh, you know, he's it, there's a lot of 
we'll come to this area and if they don't want to know we'll kill them all basically but you it's know? not it's it's it, it's not just we'll kill them is it i mean it's it's barbarism it's beyond yeah you, you have a lot of stories of you know mounting heads that, that there was the famous pyramid of skulls you know yeah. a thousand skulls outside a city and and you know don't get me wrong this is a brutal time period and he is a brutal leader which you sort of have to be in 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 what's happening um but he's, he stands out for his brutality ahead of other people of this period i would suggest yeah I, not I think, all of them but many of them i think that's probably fair yeah um but again we've you know historians have the problem of separating the myth from reality you know and it makes a lot of sense you you want your enemies to fear you so it makes a lot of sense to propagate stories about you know setting cats and birds on fire and sending them into the village so that uh, sending them into the city so that it'll burn down or mounting all the heads you know in a pyramid that it can be seen from 20 miles away um but things like this probably did happen are they exaggerated? You know, whenever you've got a historian, a contemporary source writing about numbers, they love to say, oh, it was a million, it was a thousand. They pick a number out of thin air. But things like this probably did happen, but also we've got to be aware that they, it really helped the Mongols' sort of PR brand when these sorts of stories were going around because it allows, you know, that your, your reputation precedes you. When the Mongols are coming, you want them to be thinking, oh, God, you know, we don't want to... There are certainly records of cities that give up without a fight, just basically hand over the keys, exactly because of their reputation. So, exactly, yes, yep, yeah. and so and you know, Khan wants that. He he doesn't want the fight. If a city hands over the keys and says, "You know what? We're not going to make a fuss," he's not going to go in there and kill them all for fun. He's not a sadistic, you know, uh, leader in that sense. Hmm. Um, but when they say, "No, you're not coming in," he says, "Are you really sure about this?" And they say, when "Yes." They him, yeah. yeah. And then he says, "All right, then. Well, we'll do it the we'll do it the old-fashioned way, you know." And he calls up the man who builds his pyramids, skull skull pyramids, and, <laughs> and uh, he's got him on pyramids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, it's 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 very very brutal uh, tactics, but also being smart. Um, I mean, there's this one story which I really like. So after they had basically conquered conquered the East, conquered mm. a lot of China, um, uh, including Beijing, by the way, which was called Zongdu back then, mm. the Mongols then turned West and tried to establish trade ties with the, um, again, pronunciation apologies, Khwarazm Empire. Quite like that. Do that again. Khwarazm. Khwarazm. Yeah, that's all right. That, yeah. So that's like the they're like the Persians, you know, Central Asia around Iran and Afghanistan, and we're talking twelve in the year twelve eighteen. Um, so they so the Mongols want to establish trade links. Now the ruler Shah Muhammad, uh, he receives the Mongol emissaries, uh, and he's not he's not pleased with the message that they have to establish trade links. So he uh, executes some of them. But he also shaves the beards of others, and then he sends the the severed heads and the men who have had their beard shaved back to Genghis Khan. Now, I, I mean, as a bearded man, I, I I certainly wouldn't be happy being de-bearded by by the Shah. Um, I think I'd be more concerned about having my head removed afterwards, to be honest. But right, yeah, yeah. But this really pissed Genghis off. 
Yeah, it did. Yeah, absolutely, it did. And you know, uh, it's a very clear message from Shah Mohammed. We don't want anything to do with you Mongols by by uh, you know uh, executing these people and shaving their beards and whatnot. Um, so he organizes basically the largest invasion campaign he's ever uh, orchestrated and executes one of the most brutal campaigns that he's ever undertaken at this point, even by Mongolian standards. And in a couple of years, he, he, he's conquered he's conquered it. And uh, this is horrendous. But on the positive side, he has brought the entire Silk Road, more or less, for the first time, under the supervision of, of one ruler, east to west, Silk Road. Pretty good going. And that is good. And now, um, so... He doesn't really go further west. Like he, he does make inroads beyond the Caspian Sea. Hmm. But when the Mongols start to appear in Europe and the Mediterranean, that's in the generations after Genghis Khan's death. Hmm. Um, but he, he, he himself does make inroads into this territory. But he, you know, the Europeans have got a few more years yet before they uh, have the pleasure of coming uh, into contact with the, you know, the galloping horde. I should say that the, the Mongols are famous for their horseback warriors. Yeah. Um, not like your heavy armoured cavalry charge that we get in most of Europe in this period, but they are light and agile and they're using missiles. You know, they're, they're using bow and arrows and throwing spears. Very, very difficult to fight, actually, because the horses can always keep their distance from heavily armoured knights and can just keep peppering them with arrows until they go down. Formidable, yeah, yeah, very much so. I mean, if you if you ever played, people out there listening might have played, you know, conquest games like medieval Total War or Crusader Kings. And when when the Mongols show up, uh, <laughs> it is you know really not good times. And it, your only chance is to basically hold up in cities, which is what most people do. You know, you don't want to face these horsemen on the field of battle because you'll get annihilated. So you hold up in the cities, but then they lay siege to you and they and they do these tricks where they set things on fire or they, you know, execute other brutal campaigns, basically try and starve you out until you give up and say, yeah, fair enough. Now, we, we, we'll talk briefly in a moment about um, his succession, but uh, Khan dies in August of 1227 and it just feels uh, kind of... Nice, really, that we started off the season one uh, talking about horses and hunting accidents. Yes. And it suggested that that's what happened to Genghis. It's one of the possibilities, yeah. (laughs) Already I'm wondering if if this is... This is some sort of famous farting horse conspiracy. <laughs> Wasn't just confined to the UK. No, it strikes again. (laughs) These, These deadly horses... They were all over the shop. It it may well have been the case, yeah. He um it seems that he fell off his horse. Um, that's one possibility. It could be that he was just ill, but you know, falling off his horse does make for a good story. Yeah. Um but oh, I, I think the exact cause does does remain a mystery. So farting horse is one possibility, illness is another, wounds sustained in battle or perhaps in hunting, as you've said. Um we we just or, don't know. Maybe he choked on a fishbone. <laughs> well, that would be poetic, <laughs> wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean the so the secret history of the Mongols, which is you know their, their own sort of official history, 
Um, I've never, I've never got the title "Secret History." By the way, um, it's, it's sort of prob- when, the purpose. <laughs> yeah, when, it, when you're talking about something like that, it's, it's in the same way as as you read um, uh, uh, biographies of Led Zeppelin, and the official biography of Led Zeppelin tells the story of this band who formed and made some records and made some money and right, you know that, and then you read. The unofficial, the hammer of the gods, where they actually tell the true story of right. what these people did, and you think, right, okay, that's more like it, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I suspect that, unfortunately, much of what we've discussed tonight is going to be absolute bobbins. It could well <laughs> be, yeah, propaganda. I think, I think, yeah, it's the best we got to go on. It is the best, and you know, other historians who are expert in this field will obviously know a lot more than I do. Um, but yeah, we are dealing with with a sort of official propaganda text, really. You know, how do we explain the greatness of the Mongol Empire as it was in in the years after uh, Ch- Chinggis Khan's death? But yeah, so that source says that he fell off his horse while hunting and then died died of the injury later on. Um, and you know, he was quite old, I suppose, at this point by by the medieval period standards. Yeah, by well, the standards uh, of the day. And he had lived by the sword, you know. Hmm. Um, so yeah, he's what probably in his, I mean, he could be in his late, late sixties, even older. Um, uh, uh, another chronicle says that he was killed in battle, which again, you know, would make sense. And Marco Polo, the, uh, the Italian, uh, famous Italian, uh, sort of adventurer who went into the East and it's probably the, it's probably the Italians where we get the name Genghis Khan from. It's the Italians who brought that sort of. Um, name instead of Chinggis, uh, and I think that's why we pronounce it. Why most people in Europe and America will pronounce it Genghis. He uh, Marco Polo said that he died after an infection uh, from from an arrow wound. Um, again, campaigning in battle. So we don't know. Um, well, of course, if if you really want to know, the, the easiest thing to do is to just check out the John Wayne film. Uh, <laughs> oh the, Christ! The, 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 the 1956 film The Conqueror, in which John Wayne stars as as Chinggis himself. Why? And it's it's it's, it's reckoned to be one of the worst films in history. We've done a bit um, of John Wayne in this podcast yeah, before with the Alamo, haven't we? Yeah, we have. It's, <laughs> I mean, it, it's 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 got a three a three rating on IMDb. And ten percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It's really not not seen as a great document of the life of the great card. Okay, but yeah. it, it is. I, I I have seen it. I can attest. It is funny for all the wrong reasons. But uh, it is. It, 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 there's a, there's an article just looking at here in the Telegraph. Um, January 2017. The movie so toxic it killed John Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> And that well, was after the Alamo, was it? Yeah. <laughs> so it's well worth checking out. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, yeah, viewer discretion is advised on that one, um, yes. I suppose. Um, but yeah, we don't know how he died, but uh, we do know that he, he said, I don't want any pomp and circumstance. Uh, before his death, he, he he had made arrangements that he wanted to be buried in uh, in accordance with the customs of his tribe, without markings, and uh, his body was returned to Mongolia, probably around the place where he was born, and 
um, no one knows where he is buried because he was buried in, in an unmarked grave. There's no great tomb. There's no shrine. And according to legend, um, the, the funeral escort were later killed. Um, so that uh, you know, they couldn't reveal it. So exactly, uh, including anyone they happened to cross their path with on the way to <laughs> so, the unlucky, you know, um, swine herd. So, <laughs> yeah. so the, the 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 end result of all that is someone must have then killed themselves as the last person standing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> you're, you're killing me. Yeah. Yeah. How, how who's killing you? him? It was one of the people who buried him. You must have been there as well. Yeah. Yeah, how do we know you're going to kill yourself? Oh, well, I, I said I would. Yeah, come on, you know, play the game. You go first, and then I'll I'll do it afterwards. But yeah, that you know that sort of fitting really that that's more of a monument, more of a testament to Genghis Khan, isn't it? Um, than any sort of uh, architectural structure. There is a mausoleum to um, Khan in Mongolia, I believe. Yes, but it's um, his memorial, isn't it? Yeah, it's not. It's not at the burial site. Um, and that and you know that that was that was the end of him. Twelve twenty seven. Um, he had reached old age. He had killed a lot of people. He had also brought a lot of people into the world. Um, certainly, he had killed more. To be clear, I mean, he killed millions. I think, um, but by some estimates, um, uh, and had you know, and had forged a, a, a great empire. Um, and they continued to do. They continued to do great things after his death. His his uh, children. Uh, if you remember, Jockey, the the son whose paternal yeah. heritage was a, a bit dodgy, um, sort of pushed to one side. Yeah, basically, he, they were like, "Well, we don't actually know whether you know your dad was your dad. Where you're from, pal? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, uh, I think one of one of his younger sons uh, ends up getting appointed as successor, and the Mongols really give their dynasty to the ruling houses in China uh the the Timurids the Mughals or the or the or the Mughals in India um so yeah you know great great um success story in that sense and really you know what i would say finally is that the, yes they were brutal warlords but they were also very bright and to run an empire like that to to run an empire so huge um Okay, killing people can get you a long way, but you've got to have infrastructure. You've got to have, you know, the, the written word, language. You, you've got to have an administration. And uh, the Mongols were great at learning from their enemies uh, that they had conquered and incorporating things into their empire. Splendid. And on that note, I think we've reached the end of, uh, of season two. Um, I'm not going to list a whole bunch of individuals as we did at the end of season one, but... That's 20 episodes of this that we've recorded. Thank you to everyone who's um, been in touch and said nice things Mm. Um, and people who've requested various episodes and that. If there's anything else you want to hear down the line, give us a shout. We are going to take a break for a while now uh, before we decide what to do. But thanks to everyone who's downloaded and uh, and listened and and got involved. Uh, It's all very much appreciated. Yeah, here, here. Um, I obviously echo everything that Rattler said, and I'm very grateful for all the listeners that we've had so far. Um, we'd obviously like to keep making more stuff. But we will be taking a, a break, um, as is customary, um, but hopefully we'll be back and uh, you know keep consuming history. I, I will say that uh, even if you're not listening to the, to the history hodgepod, 
uh, go out there and uh, listen to something else and read some books and uh, hopefully we'll we'll see you again very soon um, but probably don't go and watch the conqueror uh, almost certainly not <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hope you enjoyed this podcast and we would love to get your feedback if you want to say nice things or just point out all our errors then please do get in touch we are at hp history pod on twitter and facebook or you can email hp at mail.com thanks for listening